What up, this is Dart Adams and this is Dart Against Humanity, episode 25. Today is Friday, which means that later on, uh, the Red Sox play the Yankees in game one of the ALDS. Um, They already played their uh, wild card game and they really just ran away with the game versus the A's. It seems like the A's really didn't have too much of a shot as opposed to when they had, I think they had like the bases loaded at two on at two different intervals of the game and they couldn't get um they couldn't score that pretty much told me i was like this this ain't gonna happen you know the a's ain't gonna be able to get over the hump and they won 97 games they had a excellent season but you know the yankees got hot towards the end when they got judge back and glaber started playing and voight was hitting home runs and gary sanchez started you know leaving the yard again so they ended up with 100 wins which in any other season would be super respectable and great and enough to win the division, but the Red Sox won 108. All year long, I was pissed off at the um, MLB power rankings because I felt like they were sliding the Red Sox. The Red Sox were clearly the best team in Major League Baseball. You know, look at their record. Look at how hot they are. I didn't understand why for close to a month, they kept putting the Houston Astros above the Red Sox regardless of the fact that they were 8 to 12 games behind them. I didn't understand why they kept trying to slip the Yankees ahead of the Red Sox even though they would put them one thing down. And I'm like, the Yankees aren't as good as the Red Sox are. I didn't understand why certain teams, despite their records, were still in the top 10 of the power rankings. Until we started getting to the point where August approaches and I'm like, all right, so the magic number is approaching 20. So I need to start watching all of these top teams that might make the playoffs because they're going to be, you know, people that or teams that the Red Sox are going to play later potentially. It was then that I saw why the the Major League Baseball power rankings were the way they were. I started seeing how other lineups were set up. I started seeing other starting pitching. I started seeing middle relief and closers on other teams. When I saw how the Brewers were, the Brewers, if they got a lead at any point, it was a wrap. I didn't realize what their record was when they had a lead which in the 7th or 8th inning and they threw in their relievers. It was almost automatic. You had to be a tremendous team to tie the game versus the Brewers. And this is just the Brewers. The Brewers didn't even... Compared to like what the Red Sox, Yankees, and Astros did, they didn't win anywhere near as many games. You know, like their lineup isn't as fearsome. Like I don't think they're as complete a team, but they're pitching though. So I understand. So I finally realized why they were where they were. I was pissed off that I felt like the Red Sox were getting um the short end of the stick because they were giving the Astros more credit because the Astros had done it last year, been there before, but this season isn't last season. Then I started watching their games. And then the the real eye-opener was their series with the Red Sox. I saw what it is they do that the Red Sox 
don't do. And the thing is that you get the benefit of the doubt when you've when you've done it. When they've seen you do it. And these baseball writers have seen the Astros do it going from last beginning in last year. All the way throughout the season, throughout the postseason. They're proven commodity. And when you see that pitching and like they went through, they got cold or whatever. They went through a downtime. They had some injuries. When you see what they do with their lineup, how they play the game, how they set things up, their pitching, you can't count them out. And they ended up winning, what, 103, 104 games? So they only finished four or five games behind the Red Sox, even though at one point they were back as far as, I believe, 12 or 13 games at one point. And also it had to do with the fact that the Red Sox started to rest because they didn't have much to play for because they sold, they sold up the postseason and the division. And so why chance injuries? But when that happens, people catch up and they get an opportunity to get hot. This is what happened with the Yankees. Uh, the last two series that the Yankees played the Red Sox, the Red Sox didn't have much to play for. And they only needed the first series. They only needed one out of three games in the Bronx to finally win the division. And they didn't want to, you know, overextend themselves, especially since the first game was supposed to be an early game. And then it got pushed back late. So they were just going to pretty much concede that first game. That's when the pebble started rolling down a hill and turned into a fucking landslide. Because when you concede things and you give things up, what you're doing is you're also giving the other team the opportunity to gain momentum or any type of confidence. And over those last six games versus the Yankees, the Yankees realized, hey, we could play with these guys. They had Judge back. Labor was hot. Voight was hitting the ball out of the, was hitting the ball well. Uh, Gary Sanchez was leaving the yard. Didi Gregorius was playing good defense. The pitching was hanging in there, you know, giving them quality starts, which is a big buzzword. So it was to the point was like, if we have to play these guys in a short series, we're confident. We don't feel as despondent as we did back when we got swept in in Boston. And the Yankees were and the Yankees fans were just like crying about it and angry. Now. They have confidence. Jesus and Merrill talking shit after having to play a playoff game at home just to end up um, facing the Red Sox. Their uh, rotation is set. They think they're in a good position. They set a major league record for most home runs in the season. I don't think that this series versus the Yankees is going to be a cakewalk by any means. I think that now, I think that they're more evenly matched and I think the big thing is that I look at when you look at other teams regardless of their records you realize how glaring the Red Sox shortcomings are and their biggest shortcoming is one middle relief closes their bullpen is mediocre extremely mediocre and when you're dealing in the post with the postseason that is a huge issue 
The other sticking point about the Boston Red Sox is that they don't have much postseason success. So, 108 wins in a regular season, if the Red Sox win 11 games in this postseason and run the table and win the World Series, it will be an anomaly. The Yankees... They have enough. They they're set up where they just need five innings from their pitchers, and they trust their middle relief and closers, and they hit the most home runs. So they're always power threats. They're power threats all throughout the lineup. Whereas the Red Sox are more balanced. You can't really well. You that's not true. You can't take a you can't take a break with any of the hitters. That's not true. Sandy Leone is an automatic out. But when you look at their lineup, it's set up differently where you have Mookie leading off. You know, you can't sleep on any of the guys like Benintendi, Xavier. You got JD mashing. You know, you got uh, Mitch Moreland, who I feel like was getting hot towards the end of the season. You have um, Rafael Devers, who got hot at the end of the season. So you go throughout the lineup and it's like, at any point, they could put up four, five, six, seven, eight runs and bat around. And Sandy Leon will end the inning. The Yankees are different, whereas anybody can leave the yard. You can't take a break on anybody. You throw a trash pitch and it's gone. That's a different kind of, of, of like cat and mouse. That's a different kind of game of chess. Where you're going to concede your pawns, and then bring the then bring the bishops in, and maybe you know have that knight move, versus you're gonna play a long game. And the difference is that the Red Sox having home field advantage means a lot because this isn't like back three months ago when you're like, oh, if the Red Sox played the Yankees, they'd sweep them if they had to play a five game series, or they might not even win the um the wild card game to play the Yankees. I mean, to play the Red Sox. Uh, this looks like it would be a five-game series and having home field advantage where you get the last out and the Red Sox are prone to walking off in Fenway is key. So I don't think, like, if... I'll, I don't think it's going to be a runaway series. I don't feel the Red Sox right now, well, based on what I saw at the end of the season, are head and shoulders above the Yankees. I think it's even. It's, it's a more even series. I hope the Red Sox can win. I feel like they might win. I'm not 100% on anything because, again, I don't know what Red Sox team is going to show up. Is it going to be the hot team all of, a sudden, all of a sudden automatically? The hot team from the summer that seemed like they could do no wrong? If that team shows up and they score more and do more things defensively in the outfield or in the, or the infield to the point where it overshadows the deficiencies, if the pitchers go deep enough in the game where you only have to see one or one and a half relievers before we get to a Kimbrel or a Brazier or somebody like that, we don't. Hopefully, we don't need a Joe Kelly. If Joe Kelly comes in, he's not super wild, and you get out the inning, and he's only going to be used in certain situations. 
I don't trust anybody past four or five guys in the bullpen. So if you're looking for like a preview and you want me to come out and say definitively that the Red Sox are going to beat the Yankees, I'm not doing that because I don't know. I haven't seen the Red Sox go far in the postseason. I'm not 100% sure of anything. I'm going to be watching just like y'all are watching, but I'm a Red Sox fan. I'm going to hope for them to win. I'm going to talk after the game, regardless if they win or lose, because I'm going to be a Red Sox fan next year. I'm going to be a Red Sox fan until I die, and I'm not going to run and hide from it. But I'm also not going to put a declaration out there like I know what's going to happen. I have no fucking clue. If you're going to do an analysis or do any type of analysis, you have to go on the information that you've been given. And the fact of the matter is, I don't know what's going to happen based on what the regular season and the postseason is are two completely different animals. They just are. So I'm going to be watching just like everybody else is tonight. I'm going to hope that the that the Red Sox uh, clear the series. But then you got to look at the next round. They play either the Cleveland Indians, I hate that name, or the Houston Astros. And that's going to be a huge challenge because those are both well-rounded, balanced, teams that can do it all and we pretty much have to hope that the hot Red Sox from the summer end up the same Red Sox to play in this postseason and run the table because the guys that we saw at certain intervals in September not necessarily going to do it the guys in August early August they could do it I want the early August guys to show up I, you don't always get what you want. Uh, so recently, Kyrie Irving came out and did some things that I saw him doing months ago in the summer. Uh, one thing that he always did, uh, whenever anybody asked me about the flat earth thing, I explained to them, and they looked at me like I was crazy when I said it, that Kyrie felt like there was this weird vacuum in Cleveland where there's everything LeBron does and everybody's focus is on LeBron. So he was in this weird space where there was this weird dynamic between him and Braun, and especially with the media and the attention that he got, where LeBron's the man, where Kyrie could say certain shit and it won't really distract from what's going on. He could do absurd stuff, say absurd shit, and it wouldn't matter because everybody's focused on Braun. So one of the things he said was that, you know, the earth might be flat or whatever. And I never took that seriously because I know who Kyrie's parents are and I know who his family is. I know how smart he is. So I feel he's one of those people that like the defies convention on purpose. Like he's kind of a contrarian in, in a way, but he also likes to do things. He looks at things from a psychological standpoint. So if you play him and this dude thinks the earth is flat, it's automatically giving him a psychological edge and manipulating the media and stuff like that. So, But it got to be a point where it was annoying because here's the thing. When you're in Cleveland and there's a vacuum and you have LeBron and everybody focuses on LeBron and the teams are, and the teams is around LeBron and you're just the the backup guy and you don't really like that dynamic but you leave and you go to an advantageous situation in Boston where you are the guy and everybody focuses on you now 
And there's not really a vacuum like there was with LeBron and him. Because people focus on the team, but Kyrie's the face of the franchise. So the attention Kyrie gets funnels instead of diverts. So it goes to uh, Jason Tatum. It goes to Jalen Brown. It includes Al Horford. You know, in Boston, the bench players are huge. So a guy like Terry Rozier or Marcus Smart get almost the kind of attention a starter gets. So when people come to Kyrie and ask him about the flat earth thing, it's all on his shoulders and people come directly to him. And with the Uncle Drew thing, he's the guy out in the forefront. So he starts seeing, oh, that statement I made. There's no more vacuum. So that statement I made, it's all coming to me now. And I see the effects of it. And I can see clearly because I'm the guy here. I'm LeBron. But the dynamic is way different. He actually shares the spotlight with his with his teammates. You know, Gordon Hayward was injured, so he was out. So that didn't so that diverted some of the more of the attention that would have been spread on the team on him. So over the time he's been in Boston, he's really got to understand the effects of the after effects of him saying that the earth was flat or, or, or in, intimating the earth was flat. He never flat out said it was. He says, we don't really know because, again, you have to question everything. This is something that he's always believed growing up. You have to research stuff. So he apologized when he apologized to me it was a clear sign that he's in a different space in a different place and he's happy in Boston well I always knew he was happy in Boston because I fucking live here and I was getting sick of having to tell uh, Knicks fans and other people who aren't from here who don't see who haven't been watching or first firsthand experiencing Kyrie being happy in Boston because to them who could be happy in Boston I don't want to leave, but to them, I'm fucking some brainwashed dude, and it's like a, a Stockholm Syndrome. No, I genuinely love my city. Being brown. And I don't want to leave here. I want to bring motherfuckers here. I can totally understand how somebody could come to Boston and love it. People, people over the years have come to Boston as free agents and stuff like that and said they love Boston. They say it repeatedly, but you ignore it. There are players that get sad and depressed when they have to leave Boston. IT hasn't recovered from having to leave Boston. He was only here for two and a half years. Think about that. Marcus Smart was damn near scared he was going to have to leave Boston. He was shook at the prospect. People come here and they love it. And they're brown. Fucking deal with it. It happens. There are actually brown people that live here that like it. And yes, it's racist. Everywhere is racist. There's bullshit that comes along with it. There's bullshit that comes along with this with the skin color. But they still love being in this city. There are things about this city that make it worth being here. You'll never experience it because you're an asshole and you can't get out of your own feelings. That being said, Kyrie came out yesterday and he said to a bunch of people that own season tickets at a fan event 
at TD Garden. Well, he's already said it before, but he said it officially now for everyone. He wants to sign here, and if the fans will have him, he'll be a Celtic long term because he's happy here. And I've been telling motherfuckers this for months, and they don't listen. And there's nothing worse with me than I know I'm right. And I got to wait for you motherfuckers to realize it. When you going to learn? Look at the record. Anyway. So um, the Boston Celtics are going to have their season. I'm going to tell you that last year they won, what, 55 games without having Kyrie and Gordon for most of the season, having players step up. I feel like they upgraded their bench in a sense. Um, I don't like the preseason didn't give us a really good uh, indication of what they'd be like on the court. I feel like last year's preseason gave us a better indication of what the Celtics look like. I feel like the Celtics didn't really put out the same kind of effort in preseason this year because they already played the entire playoffs. So they have a lot of chemistry. They have a lot of holdover. There's a lot of trust that these guys have that I really feel like they kind of sandbagged in the preseason. There are some teams that are trying to play all out to show people what they're going to look like in the preseason, but they're not really winning the games. And then there's teams like the Celtics that are just like, we're just going to put up shots. We're not going to play like we're capable of playing, but we'll do just enough to put up like ESPN highlights. You know? So... I need for them to, like, you know, show up in the regular season, move the ball, do all these amazing things. And, like, after, like, maybe the first eight to ten games of the season, people get an idea of what the Celtics really are. Because I think people look at that, that press picture from media day, and they looked at that starting lineup, that starting five, and they were like, oh, salivating already? You have to do it on the court. Uh, so last year they won 55 games. I see them winning like 60, 60 plus games this year. I just do. Because I think they're better. I think their bench is better. I think Wanamaker is a step up from um, uh, Larkin. I feel like Robert Williams will be able to contribute. Uh, I think he's going to spend a lot of time in Maine with the Red Claws. Uh, uh, the Jabari Bird situation is really fucked up because he was really going to be a contributor. And like anytime somebody does something regarding violence against women, that's <sighs> nothing to take lightly. That's terrible so he could have fucked up his own career and plus he, he should know better really there's no there's no excuse um i think that the media excitement around boston this year is interesting because they kind of leapfrogged toronto toronto never gets toronto just gets shit on mercilessly they have kiwi they got Kawhi leonard for DeMar DeRozan. And people are like the Red Sox, I mean the Celtics are the um are the team to beat in the East. Toronto won the won last year. But I think they uh the Toronto Raptors lost some um pieces on their bench and um they're going to have to get that whole thing back, that whole dynamic back. Um but this I expect the Celtics to win the East this year. Will they? It remains to be seen. But I feel like I'm excited for what they're going to do. I'm not going to come out here and make insane declarations because I'm not a stan. I'm a logical human being that happens to be a fan. I like to see shit happen on the court. 
You know, I like to see things play out on the court or on the field as opposed to come out and say, oh, yeah, they're definitely going to do this. Because when you put yourself out there, you have to really understand it. A lot of things factor into what happens in a long season. 82 games. There's going to be at least three to they're going between three and five teams are going to be surprises this year. And they're going to move things in each in each conference. A lot of these, some of these young teams, one of these young teams is going to gel quick like the Orlando Magic did right after they were um founded. Like one of these teams is going to jump ahead of their development schedule. That's going to put a monkey wrench in everything. And I feel like the Lakers they're betting that LeBron's going to get it put it all together. The West is tough. Like there you think about the eight teams that went to the playoffs last year. You look at three young teams in the West. Like you don't know if the Suns what if the Suns get it together? What if the Kings do? You know? Minnesota Minnesota's going to ship um Jimmy Butler to Miami. What if without Jimmy Butler suddenly the Minnesota Timberwolves go on a run. And then OKC exists. And then you have Houston. The Lakers are supposed to be what place in the playoffs? It's going to be an uphill battle. The West is tough. The East is kind of wide open. There's talent there, but the East is wide open. I, I see what's happening with Charlotte. I think that Michael Bridges might be better than even I thought he was. So... It's going to be an interesting season. I'm looking forward to seeing what happens with the new players, with the young players. Um, the, Red, the Celtics have already named their bench BWA, bench with attitude. You know, the, the baddest bench on the planet. They're going to have to live up to that. It's cool to have T-shirts and slogans and stuff like that and have that swagger going into the season, but y'all going to have to do it. Y'all going to have to um, make it so that those t-shirts that people print and the stuff that weird Celtics Twitter does matters. They're going to have to validate it, is what I'm saying. So it's all good to talk and all this other shit. You got you to gotta do it on the field and do, do it on the court. All right. So here's something weird that happened recently, right? Carl Cherry, who... Uh, used to work for Apple. Like, he used to curate rap and R&B. And then he moved to Spotify. Like, I guess he did, like, artist relations and stuff like that, too. He posted this tweet. I fucking hate talking about Twitter. But I feel... But I'm going to actually talk about something real in it. Um, he posted a tweet. And he said that... Kendrick Lamar... J. Cole and Drake, he called them the Holy Trinity. Then he said that they would be able to thrive in any previous rap era. Now, I'm going to say that again. He referred to Kendrick Lamar. J. Cole and Drake as the Holy Trinity. 
Then he said they would be able to thrive in any previous era of rap. So let me walk you through math. When you make statements like that, that usually means means that it's not hyperbole. You've thought this through. I asked. So you've done the math already. You've gone through each individual rap era. You looked at each previous trinity. And you said you weighed them against each of them that exist. And you said, yeah, this this works out. Because when you, you put shit like that out into the universe, people are going to respond to you. Now, I'm not a fucking troll. I'm an adult. I'm a journalist. I'm a historian. So I asked the question. My question was, wait a minute. So you think they can really stand up against any previous generation? And you think that that trinity that stands up to the previous ones, the previous ones being, if you don't know, Grandmaster Melly Mel, Grandmaster Kaz, Cool Modi, bam. First Trinity. Second Trinity, we're dealing with the um the first golden era. So that would be Rock Him, Cool G Rap, Big Daddy Kane. Slide that one over. Next Trinity, we're dealing with Biggie, Jay-Z, Nas. Slide that one over. That's three. Three for three, nine. I said, so you think that they are in the same class? As those three previous holy trinities. That's the question I asked. His response was. I think they're the trinity of now. That's not what the fuck I asked. And also. It's a cop out. If you say that's the trinity of now. It's almost like saying. Talking about. um, The top conferences. In a sport or a league. And talking about their three best head and shoulders above everybody players. Transcendent players from each conference, division, what have you. And you have the weakest division. A junior division. And you have three that are like dominating that. The question I'm going to ask you is do you think those three are on par with the three from the top elite Divisions with the most competition Who are the most battle tested Because that's the question you want Competition in the field matters Errors matter It doesn't matter if you're the best in an error That's fucking trash with weak competition So it's a cop out to say They're the trinity of now Yay That's not the fuck I asked you I asked you will all three of them Be able to compete Belong in the same strata as those previously. And do you really believe that if you took J. Cole and threw him into the first and second golden eras, he'd thrive or he'd still be in that elite field. He he'd still he'd still show up. Because here's here's the thing. When you talk when you say these things, you have already put into you've already said, alright, so 84, 85. Yeah, you've gone through the entire field of first the elites 
and then their contemporaries, the uh, people that came through with the style evolutions, the top cats of that era. And you were like, yeah, he could rock with that. 86 to 89, the first golden era. He could have competed with the chill Rob G's. He could have competed with the Lakim Shabazz's. He could have competed with like um, T. LaRock. He could have competed with Just Ice, KRS-One. This is what you're saying. Jump to the next era. You put them in the same field with cats like Special Ed. You know, you put them in the same era as Tretch. Put them in the same era as an Ice Cube or an MC Ren. Put them in the same era as a DOC. Yes, he could have hung with DOC. And I'm just like saying random names because I have so many names in my head and I could do this and I could really like go into detail. But the thing, I'm just trying to make the point that if you haven't gone through that step or those necessary steps, you don't type that shit out. You don't just say anything. Words mean things. So when I asked my question, he gave me the cop out answer. I then went further. And what Carl Cherry did was he responded with, um, you think this, you think uh, J. Cole doesn't rap as good as Cool Mo D. That's one of his tweets. And I was like, oh, my God, this dude doesn't understand what the fuck I'm talking about. How do you not understand rap history and you and you you invoked it? First of all, the reason why the first Trinity Trinity is Melly Mel, Cool Mo D. And Grandmaster Kaz is because they set the stage for the style evolutions that came forward. If you were an MC, those were the three guys you looked to that did different things in rap that elevated the game, MCing the art form, the craft that changed it going forward so that we even got a first golden era in the first place. So if you look at it on the surface, like, you're trying to say that J. Cole can't rap as good as Cool Mo D, motherfucker. Do you not understand rap history? You understand that Cool Mo D revolutionized the battle. You understand that with um, Treacherous 3 with the new rap language, that changed the way people rap after the way Grandmaster Kaz constructed rhymes and spit bars along with Melly Mel and his brother, the Glover Brothers, who created the style of nonstop rapping, which... The Treacherous 3 and Cool Mo D added on to. Like, you can't do that math in your head. You're so dumb that you don't understand that you don't even understand what you said. You don't understand the weight of your words. So when Carl Cherry did that, I was like, this dude has positions of power and influence in the world of air quotes, hip hop and curation. That he doesn't even understand the fucking culture that he supposedly represents. That he can't understand a simple fucking question and do the math in his head. That incensed me. But it's what I expected.
Now, um, back on Wednesday, uh, I used to be a part of a, um, I used to be part of something uh, called Killer Boombox. It's a, a media company, a conglomerate. They, they have their hands in a whole bunch of things in the Boston, Massachusetts, New England area. Uh, recently, they uh, partnered up with um, the Hasty Pudding Institute at Harvard. The Hasty Pudding Institute is uh, short. It's not a final club at Harvard, not finals, a final club at Harvard, but it is a club that's fairly exclusive. Um, but you can enter when you're a freshman. And it's, in a sense, the oldest club in America. Uh, it goes back to 1770. Has really influential people that are alums of it. It kind of changed the face of American entertainment. You have the Hasty Pudding Man and Woman of the Year. You have the Hasty Pudding Theatricals. You have the Crocodillos, which Ryan Leslie was a member of. Um, a lot of people are a member of. And they kind of changed the face of entertainment in America along with like the um, Harvard Lampoon or as you guys know it, the National Lampoon. So what happened was they recently did an event that was the state of hip hop and they had uh, guys like G Spin, who's at UTA now, but did a lot of stuff in the city. Uh, he went from... Um, one station he, he transformed power he pretty much created the breakfast club like he orchestrated that whole thing from boston done a lot grew up with um homie who uh is kanye west right hand man and also who is the protege of one of the greatest uh producers of all time you know, the man who's credited with created New Jack Swing, Teddy Riley. Che Pope also was instrumental in um, producing tracks on Lauren Hill's The Miseducation of Lauren Hill, among other things. So um, it was him. It was uh, DJ E Double, who uh, is took over the launch pad from G, uh, was mentored by him. You know, he had Reef Energy. Uh, local DJ, this woman is amazing, uh, DJ Slick Vic, and they all talked about different aspects of the culture, uh, technology, um, the art of DJing, uh, what it means to do this in the era of streaming. It was a really great discussion. It was had at Harvard. And it blew my mind that we had this room packed with brown folks in an exclusive space at Harvard which people only read about. And I just walked over the bridge, took the train or whatever, and bam, I'm there. It was mind-blowing. And I'd like to see more things like this happen. Killer Boombox is um, presently working on it. But it was just something amazing that here I am in Harvard in this hollowed building that was established in 1632, which is one of the first meeting houses in Cambridge. Here I am, um, all this art, all this history... And I'm sitting in the second row at this exquisite event, arguing with motherfuckers on Twitter. And I just, I'm just like, why? Why? Why am I arguing about rap on Twitter at a state of hip hop panel? 
that I was invited to at Harvard. That's when it like it, it hits me. It was like I really have to stop fucking around and put energy into actually teaching because when I'm going back and forth with someone who thinks they understand the culture and the history or don't realize how little they know. I don't know how much you guys know, whoever's listening knows about like martial arts films. A staple or a trope of martial arts films is a young person who a hothead usually challenges a master. The master plays around with them, you know, entertains them for a while. Let's them think that they can get a hit. Makes them think that they could like maybe get in. Or the thing is that they're so delusional that they don't understand what's happening. There's a game within the game within the game, but they don't see that. They have blinders on. They have tunnel vision. So they think that what they're doing is landing and they're actually close. But in the minds of the master, he's like, you're no challenge at all. And not only that, you don't understand or realize you don't know anything but everybody everybody's there this is the thing that you don't understand when someone comes to you and they don't know something they don't understand that the person you're talking to was there they were you at one point but it's all in how you handle it you don't challenge because all that's going to happen is you're going to lose You have to pretty much concede, I don't know. It's liberating. And ask, and find out, and listen. And you'll get to where that person is. That's what pay it forward is. Pay it forward is you come into a situation, you get mentored, you learn the ropes or something, and then you turn around and you do the same thing that was done for you to someone else. And the hopes that they do it to someone else and do it for someone else and more people and more people and they do it for someone else. This is how things keep going. This is how hip hop was born. It was an apprenticeship, pretty much. It was a mentor. It was a mentor mentee situation. That's why when people talk about I learned how to be boy from. I learned how to DJ from. This era, there's a lot of people that learn from YouTube videos or trial and error and nobody came around and really took them under their wing. And it's a lot of, it's a lot of times it's hard to do in a space where it's the fucking Wild West and nobody knows what's going on. So how can you help me navigate through this new and unexplored space? Everybody is using trial and error. No one knows what's going on. Everybody's lying and pretending they don't know what's going on, but they have no fucking clue. And then when something sticks, they act like they knew what they were doing. And then they go out and consult for people. And <clears throat> about 15 minutes in, you realize you don't know what you're doing. So being in a space where there are people that actually know about what's going on in the industry and they're sharing this information and then afterwards everybody uh, networked and they exchanged information and pretty much what happened was me, I stood in the corner and people just came up to me and asked me four things which is what I'm there for 
or oh shit, you're the guy from Twitter, or you're the guy from the video did um with uh, Noble. If you go on YouTube, there's a, a video called Dinner at Slates. I had not been to the barber and got lined up yet, so my beard and my goatee was especially Walter and Scotty-ish. It was hella thick. So we sat down and talked about Boston and common misconceptions and uh, issues with uh, uh, not even the, um, I hate when people say it, but um, so they call it the generation gap. It's not that anymore. It's more like a generation chasm. Because due to real-time communication, uh, real-time social media and communications technology and advances in technology, the chasm changes because the world's changing so fast and things are so different that we can't really relate with how young people are dealing with it because we never experienced it ourselves. It's nothing that we could... It's not 100% analogous to our, our early existence. It just isn't. It's a different thing. So to say, these kids are soft because this shit's completely different. The binaries has changed. Everything's different. So if you don't understand all that, you can't just jump to a fucking conclusion. You have to take into account everything. Just like if you're going to talk about what rappers can thrive in what era. These are things you have to fully think out and flesh out. So when someone approaches you with something, you can't just brush it off to the side. Because you're the motherfucker that broached, that broached it. You're the motherfucker that opened the Pandora's box in the first place, Carl. But yeah, man. So tonight, Yankees versus Red Sox in Fenway Park. Sale day. Chris Sale on the mound. I'm curious to see what happens. Last night, I kind of, um, oh, I went to visit Sean at Fort Boston. The Chris Heron joints just went out. I'm actually wearing uh, the Hilltopper shorts right now as I'm doing this podcast, walking in my living room. Uh, so thanks to everybody who, is, who rocked with us for the, the Chris Heron joints. Um, more shit coming in 2019. It's going to be crazy, we promise. Uh, the Celtics played their first game. I believe um, Gordon Hayward... He is a, um, a sore back, so he's not going to travel to Cleveland. So that's something, but it's what it is. <clears throat> it's more important to be healthy going in, going throughout the season and op- the opening day, you know. Plus, opening day versus Cleveland, that's going to have too many fucking weird memories, you know what I'm saying, attached to the injury and shit like that. I don't, I don't want to do that psychologically. I ain't trying to relive that. And he's never watched the video, which is good, because why? Why? Go forward. Uh, Last night, the Patriots were the Patriots. Um, I don't really want to talk about them too much. Whatever happens, happens. October 2nd was the 40th anniversary of my hatred of of the Yankees because of the one game playoff. And the Red Sox, I believe they lost 5-4. to four, And it was an early game. So the game started like, what, 2 or 2.30? And by about 5, all our dreams were crushed. I'll never forget that. It wasn't even night yet. So this series is weird because the Red Sox and the, and the Yankees haven't played each other since 2004 in the comeback. 
So it's kind of like this weird history that is that is like loomed over both franchises because the Yankees won the World Series in 2009, but the Red Sox won in 2004, 2007, and 2013. So while the Yankees are screaming 27 World Championships, we're like, we won more than you guys. And we've won the division three straight years. So it's this weird push and pull. Oh, and this is a weird thing. Yankees fans and Red Sox fans were arguing about which which who was more trash or who was worse, which is stupid. We have 118 years of being absolute assholes to each other. And we're only separated by 220 miles. Why? Why do it? Why do it? You're always going to find stories about Red Sox fans being assholes, the Yankees fans are or vice versa. Always. What's the point? Play the goddamn series. Last year, the Red Sox won the division, went to the postseason, shit the bed versus the Astros, which was bad because at the end of the season, it looked like they were going to shit the bed because they didn't show up versus them when they should have. They lost the series, and then the Yankees almost made it to the World Series, even though they didn't win the division. So this is another thing that has Yankees fans feeling like, yeah, we might lose the division, but we're going to be better than them, or we're going to surpass them in the postseason. So this is a put-up-a-shut-up year for the Red Sox. They're not proven in the postseason. Nobody believes in what they can do in the postseason. They feel like their um, their relief pitching is suspect. The Red Sox have to do it. It's going to start with they have to beat the Yankees. And they kind of have to beat either the Astros or the Indians. I feel like it's going to be the Astros. I think the Astros are going to beat the Indians. If the Indians beat the Astros, it's still going to be a tough out for the Red Sox. The Red Sox, they're going to be a tough out. But the Red Sox have to do it. And then the thing is that the NL, I'm completely overlooking the NL. But they play a different brand of baseball. And they don't win as many games because I think it's... I think the AL has better teams, but I think the NL is more balanced because there's more trash teams, absolutely trash teams in the AL that everybody feasts on. But it's not going to be the cakewalk that everybody thinks it is. And, of course, the Cubs are off the table. So the Red Sox-Cubs series that everybody was banking on, which they really shouldn't have been in the first place, that's off the table. So, again, anything can happen. And I'm not going to come out here and make some outrageous declaration because too many people claim to be experts and shit. I, I know enough to know. I don't know. I'm going to be just as surprised as y'all are. So that's all.